Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Forbidden Cinema. I'm Zach. I'm Jenny. We are going deeper on Scream, answering the questions no one thought to ask. <laughs> Maybe you wondered. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe like you had a brief mentioning of something, and then you're like, I wonder what would happen if somebody got on Wikipedia and then looked up, tried to find a good source for that, and then found the original source, and then started just reading, and then just randomly <laughs> looked up something else, and then tangented on from there, and that's where we are. Like, what? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this in my brain all the time, babe. I'm sorry. No, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so anything unsaid that you got to say before we get going? I had some theories we, that we talked about a little bit later um, that maybe we can talk about your, do you have a theory section? I do. I do. Okay. Yes. We can okay. get into that then. Other than that, that's it. All right. So I do have one programming note. The Scarlet Letter with Demi Moore. We were trying to figure out who the guy right. is. It's Gary Oldman again. He shows up everywhere. Just Gary Oldman. I mean, we just need a Gary Oldman podcast. We had... Uh, and he's going to be next week, right? Friends. Yeah, we are going to be talking about Gary Oldman next week. Um, we had friends go to a Gary Oldman Halloween party. Like, people just came as all the characters of Gary Oldman. I bet you nobody came as his character from um, from Scarlet Letter. Probably not. That's pretty... Yeah. But like our friends went as Commissioner Gordon and as whatever character he voices in Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> I think nope. it's a raccoon maybe or something. I don't Nobody know. went as his little person character from that movie with Matthew McConaughey. I don't think so. If they did, nobody's talking about it. <laughs> so Scream, going deeper on what in the world was happening in 1996. This was a year where you were curious about like, when do they start making movie or stop making movies for adults? Right. I feel like this is the tip of the iceberg of that. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I feel like this was definitely kicked off an era of we moved into the horror. And I mean, you could say erotic thrillers, but not really, because I think erotic thriller has a specific type of um, formula. Yeah, I think erotic thrillers are Dunzo at this point. I mean, maybe on cable still. But these are teenage erotic thrillers, which basically they have decided and figured out probably from this movie that slasher, horror, like sex, like that, that kind of that going back to the final girl, if you will. Yeah. I mean, Um, you had what the urban legends. I know what you did last summer. All of that stuff made money. mm -hmm. All that stuff made money. And then, you know, that kind of gave way to our she's all that. And yeah, movies started being pretty much geared towards a younger audience about this time. I have by 2004, so, Mm -hmm. you know, about eight years later, uh, we have Ocean's 12 and Troy and The Passion of the Christ are the only movies that are, like, not specifically geared towards teens or children. Interesting. That's an interesting mix-up, too. By 2005, we have Wedding Crashers, Hitch, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I would almost say, though, that Wedding Mr. Crashers... Mr. Smith and, and all of those, Wedding Crashers, you think, is geared towards teens sneaking well, in? and Well, you're talking about an, nine years from Scream. Yeah. So how old are the 16, 17, 18-year-olds? They're in wedding phase. Exactly. All their exactly. friends are getting married. So it is geared, still geared towards that same. For some reason, it feels like we have like tracked... We, we stamped in time the teenagers of the 90s and have decided that everything needs to revolve around them. <laughs> But ignoring 2020, 2020 is a pretty weird year. Okay. I mean, some of the movies that were the top 10 in the box office made like $16 million. Right, right, right. Ignoring 2020, as of 2006, 
except for the hangover and as of 2006 as of 2006 till now okay nothing except for ted and the hangover has been either a in the top 10 has been a anything that's not a franchise or an animated movie Wow, that's kind of so. Depressing. Everything's been an adaptation. It's been a, a Lord of the Rings. It's been a uh, Hunger Games or a Harry Potter or a Marvel or yeah, that's that's the films for the last almost twenty years now. I mean, and basically just that everyone is afraid to take a risk. They want to do a done deal, sure thing. I think what happened was actor salary started getting into the twenty, thirty million dollars, mm-hmm. and you couldn't make a movie for less than a hundred million dollars about the about this time. Like stream was like. 14 million got it but at this point you know like your cable guy i think came out this year and it was one that cost like almost 50 million dollars to make just because you had to pay jim carrey got it and it's harder and harder and harder for movies to make that money back if you're not sure so you had to have these huge blockbusters right so you got to go on some property that already exists that you know that has a huge fan base i get that okay but yeah so just looking at the movies that have come out that have been in the top 10 that have been r-rated since then 2009 we have the hangover 2011, we have The Hangover Part 2. That was just because of The Hangover. The Hangover Part 2 was not that great. (laughs) 2012, we had Ted. Which is wild. Yeah. 2014, American Sniper. Hmm. 2016, we had Deadpool. 2017, Logan. 2018, Deadpool again. And 2019, Joker and It. Wow. Okay. And then it's looking like in 2023, it's looking like Oppenheimer is going to make it. It's going to be the number. It's, it's oh, going to be in rated the, R. It's going to be, yeah, okay. be R rated movie. And it, it's going to be in the top 10 unless something crazy happens. The end of the year. Unless like $10 billion of stuff gets spent on random R rated movies for the next two months. In holiday season? I mean, probably not. Speaking of holiday season, did you know that this movie was released in holiday season? Actually, I did. Um, I don't know why. Um, I feel like I heard that honestly just recently. Um, I don't know who was talking about it. Maybe we were listening to. The little bit of you must remember this. Did she mention that? Maybe just in a little blurb that it came out of Christmas of this year. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that they've gotten to this in that movie. I thought maybe she- we talked about. We did talk about. We listened to them talking about um, cruel intentions and wild things. So maybe they. They did. might have. They, they just did. hinted to it, and it just said you know December Speaking of ninety six. Yeah. Of scream, wild things, and the craft. We mm-hmm. completely forgot to mention. Queen Nev Campbell joins our three-peat club. That's true. Absolutely, she does. Killing so, it. I know. I mean, that, she really snuck in. I, I don't know if I would have if I would have pegged she's her. She's got such a different vibe. And she's really very much a chameleon, which, you know, that's great for her. She doesn't have that one specific look. And she gets to be the final girl in a lot of them. Uh, she does. This movie, do you know what its original title was up until very, very close to release? I don't. Scary movie. Oh, and, and there so, was pushback on all levels of this trying to people wanting to keep the name Scary Movie. <laughs> which I get it. I mean, that's that's what, you What's know, your that's favorite scary the, whole, movie? the I, whole thing is about. There are ways of surviving a scary movie. Right. But yeah, that was something that, and okay, we can, little sigh of relief, Harvey Weinstein made a bunch of money off of this movie, but he's not directly involved in producing it. It was Bob Weinstein. So at least there's... <laughs> There's, There's that. that. Right, so Harvey Weinstein, you can just go die somewhere. And uh, yeah. So box office and business for this thing. $14 million budget, as we said. Mm-hmm. Made $6.4 million its opening week. It was fourth place that week. It never made it to number one. It's a hard, weird time for it, probably. I mean, Care Christmas time. Care to wager 
what the top three movies of this week were. Ooh, in 96 in December? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, 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 um. All that time is a blur. I'm not really sure what the Christmas movies were during that time. Top movies. Third place, 101 Dalmatians. Okay. Second place, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Oh, wow. Okay. Cringeworthy. I mean, I love Jerry Maguire, but definitely a cringeworthy moment. Talking about a movie our AC guy was in today, talking about the old Hermitage 4 theater. And I was thinking, like, the last time I went to that theater, I think I bought a ticket to something else and snuck into Jerry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> love it. And number one movie of the year or of the of the weekend Beavis and Butthead do America. No way. That is the fact of this podcast. That movie was a huge critical and commercial success. I would not have. I, that, Beavis and Butthead never swayed me in any kind of way. But you make a movie for six or eight million dollars and it goes to make 70. You did fine. Yeah, you're doing good. You know, you're doing you make right. the cable guy that costs 70 million dollars and it makes 100 and you, you're probably not making your advertising budget back. So. Something to be said. Okay, so the next weekend, up to up to third place, ten million. A movie that made more money in its second weekend than its first. That makes sense to me. It's a, a real word of mouth kind yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of movie. This one is. The third weekend, it was in third place again. Guess what movie came out that weekend? Michael. I hate that movie. Oh, With John Travolta. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know if I hate that one or Phenomenon more. Oh, I hate both it's of them. Really, really tight race. John Travolta was really in a role there for making. I think both of those are not panned, but I hated them. I did not like either one. Those yeah. are movies from my mom. And yeah, but I'm not even sure my mom liked them. I mean, we watched them, but no, I hated them. The next weekend, we're still in the top five. The Relic and Evita come out. Interesting. It's a real weird hodgepodge type of movie. Like, like out welcome in to January, fools. I yeah. Mean. I mean, Evita sounds like an Oscar race getting in before the end of the year. Probably, probably. I love Evita. I, I think it might be, mm -hmm. I mean, besides uh, Chicago rules all, but I think it might be my favorite movie musical. It's great. It's it's maybe not my favorite musical, but it's it, it just, it does everything. The movie just, it's re it's really well, yeah. It's really well directed, really well laid out. And the relic, I think we've talked about the relic that we've both read more than a dozen sequels to the relic. Yeah, and the character that you've got in there is not even in the movie. The relic, <laughs> like, like, the he's main not detective. important. We'll cut him out of the movie. <laughs> we'll get Tom Sizemore. We'll put all our bets on Tom Sizemore. Yeah, good <laughs> he's going to carry the franchise exactly. <laughs> the next week, we're still in the top five. Beverly Hills Ninja comes out. Oh, no. I saw that movie in the theater twice. I loved it. Chris Farley, uh, Chris Rock. I love that movie. <laughs> Robin Chu from uh, from Mortal Kombat. Was that his name? I don't know. That's Liu not, Kang. That's not, my, okay. that's not my world. The next week, still in the top 10, In Love and War. Oh. I saw that in the theater. I did, too. That movie wrecked me. I mean... A movie with Chris O'Donnell's butt, and it's still, you leave having a bad time. <laughs> I mean, I love Chris O'Donnell, and I just, I was devastated for him. I mean, hindsight, Ernest Hemingway, trash kind of person. Trash, yeah. <laughs> but he had a lot of kitties. He did. He did. He made a way for a lot of kitties. He had a lot of cats and drank a lot of rum. I mean, those are two, two uh, pastimes. Having cats and drinking rum are things that I could get behind. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely hard like for you to be like, he... They made you kind of dislike Sandra Bullock. That's hard. That's a real hard thing to do. 
So in its seventh week, it gets the highest it ever has been. It's second place. This week, Star Wars, the special edition came out. Ah, okay. And that was hard to compete with. Yeah. Week eight was Dante's Peak and Beautician and the Beast. (laughs) Not movies I would have thought were 1996. No. Ninth, Absolute Power with Clint Eastwood. Never saw? No. Vegas Vacation, a sequel to a movie we've done a couple of. I've seen Vegas Vacation. I have not. And Fools Rush In. Also, uh, that week, The English Patient and Shine, neither one of them was released that week, but they both enter the top ten. Okay. Fool's Rush In, is that Matthew Perry? Matthew Perry. Yeah, Everybody okay. stood in awe as we scream, Matthew Perry. <laughs> now, in Selma Hayek? Is it that one? Uh, sure. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know the poster or the, the VHS box cover and everything but Matthew Perry is blurred <laughs> <laughs> So it's out of the top 10 for week 10, Empire Strikes Back Special Edition. I didn't realize those were like a few weeks apart back in the day. No, I I had all the Taco Bell toys. (laughs) Yes. 11th week, Donnie Brasco and Booty Call. Oh, wow. 12th week, Howard Stern's Private Parts. That was that late? That was that late, yeah. I would have thought that was early 90s. And Jungle 2 Jungle with Tim Allen. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. The 13th is Return of the Jedi. The 14th week, we have Liar, Liar, and Selena. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I love Liar, Liar. And that at that point, we're out of the top 10. So 14 weeks in the top 10. That's impressive. It, in more screens in its last weeks than its first weeks. It's a, it was a huge, huge, huge hit. So good for the, good for them. And I, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> it's wild. I think both of those are actually like really well critically received. There was one that came out just a year or two ago, kind of during the lockdown, and I watched it. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I just, I don't have the attention span for it. All right. So moving on, I was telling you about these Universal Monsters books mm-hmm. that I just yeah. was thinking I was never going to find. Actually, the original series of them, it's the famous monsters, and then it's meat, like Dracula, Frankenstein, Godzilla, King Kong. Those are actually still in print. Oh, wow. Cool. And then there are the introducing. Introducing is the Deadly Mantis, Zombies, Body Snatchers, Mad Scientists, and it came from outer space. So we're getting a little third string yeah. on those. Uh, but those are those are no longer in print, the introducing. They didn't have the same staying power. But that yeah, check eBay. Like, introducing the Deadly Mantis is selling for about 50 bucks on eBay. So <laughs> that's a bummer because I like that one. <laughs> Okay, the mask. The mask that the character wears. Okay, I was like, we're still talking about Jim Carrey? Sorry. Oh, (laughs) uh, I see what you did there. I see what you did. It's In the script, he's the ghost mask killer. Okay. And I guess Ghostface, as we said, it was just the one time Mr. Ghostface by uh, Tatum. But I still could not really come up with a where that became the name. It seems like it just happened in pop culture. Maybe, yeah. It's the only time that the killer is really referred to. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess maybe that caught on. But uh, Brigitte Sierton, she designed the peanut-eyed ghost for Fun World. The peanut-eyed ghost. That's what that is. That's what that's called. Yes, yes. And they made dozens of attempts to license it and... They were not able to come to an agreement on the licensure for it. And so they started kind of trying to make their own ripoff. And it kept on not working to the point where after they'd completely shot the opening scene with Drew Barrymore. And they were not loving it. And they went back and and paid the licensing fee. 
So they had to go back and reshoot all the ghost scenes. Oh, wow. So this this lady's made bank. She's done well. Yeah, or, or Fun World maybe did well. That's I mean, probably, probably something she created under the umbrella of her employer. And yeah. I think we've been by Fun World at Coney Island, and I feel like Scream is probably <laughs> doing a lot of the heavy lifting to their... Uh... Well, I don't know. We There was a Fun World when I was a kid in Orlando. I don't okay. know that like was a little bit more of an arcade... Like it had a whole area of like kid casino, like slot machines and stuff. We used to go, and for some reason, like my uncle liked to call it Bun World. I don't know, but like because we would go to Fun World, like me, and my cousin, and my sister, like bumper boats and little rides, and so I don't know if that was that. Maybe that was a franchise, or there this was. This is probably a not chain. okay because you were probably eight, but you know, I only know you now. So like, anywhere you go is Bun's World, babe. Sorry, it's <laughs> a Bun's World. <laughs> What can I say? I got to type. I don't know. But but I don't remember there being any scary ghost faces. So okay. I don't know. Okay. Awards for this thing. This thing swept the Saturns. That makes sense. Yeah. Best horror film, best actress, best writer, and nominations for supporting actor for Skeet Ulrich, uh, supporting actress for Drew Barrymore, and director for Wes Craven. MTV, best movie of the year. Won the won the Moon Man. Or, or, was, or not the Moon Man, the Popcorn. The Moon, the Moon Man's videos, I think. I think the popcorn is movies. I don't know. You know, I've never even thought about it. <laughs> Care to wager a guess some of the movies it might have beat? In MTV? Yeah. Oh, I uh, know. Uh, okay. We've only mentioned one of them so far on this Beavis podcast. Beavis the Butthead? No, actually, that was not nominated for Best Film. <laughs> okay. Thought? Maybe, that's, maybe being an MTV film, it maybe was they were like, uneligible. <laughs> it wasn't. It, uh, any any employees of this particular franchise not eligible to enter into the contest. Exactly. It beat Jerry Maguire. Okay. Independence Day. Oh, was okay that year too. Romeo okay. and Juliet. This is like starting to like form my year. Like and The Rock. Talking about those, it was like okay, I know this year. This was in the more of a context. Only one of those four movies I did not see in the theater. I didn't see The Rock. My dad took me to see The Rock because, you know, you, we're, we're allowed to blow things up and whatnot as long right, as. Right. I mean, I think there is sort of a sex scene in The Rock that I was getting real nervous about. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Nicolas Cage, I feel like he had a much younger wife in that film, but maybe not. Maybe he was just young, too, and I just always thought he was an old, crazy person. Maybe. I don't know. I I have seen The Rock, I think, but all of, I don't can't think of any scenes outside of being at Alcatraz. <laughs> All right. So you want to know a little bit about Skeet Ulrich? Like where he's been? Yeah, like where he's been, what he does. Yeah. He, his real name is Brian Ray Trout. Weird. Yeah. Uh, the name Skeet actually, come, actually had a heart condition young and had to have several operations and was extraordinarily small and was given the name Skeeter. Aww. By his baseball coach because he was he was fast but tiny. <laughs> That's cute. And it kind of stuck with him for his whole life. Uh, his stepfather is D.K. Ulrich and his uncle Ricky Rudd are, I guess, both NASCAR stars. Oh, okay. And so I that's mean, where he got the Ulrich from. It, that sounds... All the all of the names you just said all sound like they have some NASCAR roots. <laughs> they do, they do. He actually worked in a uh, NASCAR pit crew for a while before he determined it wasn't for him. <laughs> all right, so what's he doing lately? So, main thing I noticed that he's been doing lately, he's been in, in several shows that lasted for several seasons, maybe okay. like on Sci-Fi Channel or TBS, or maybe not like your 
you know, top run, but he's been Jughead Senior, or I guess I oh. guess actually Jughead the second. I guess Jughead is Jughead the third in Riverdale. For, oh, that's I what didn't he's been doing for the that. last little okay. bit. And he has twin children, uh, Jacob and Naya, and they're in the movie Due Date with Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> <laughs> we saw that. I know we did. I don't remember. I don't. Anything, anything about anything, it. <laughs> not a single it's, thing. I feel like it's kind of plane trains and automobiles, but more of the annoying fat guy routine. Maybe, yeah, not a single thing. <laughs> Scrubbed. Oh, the finale, like the la- the party. Yeah, that scene is forty two minutes long. That is long. That is, I mean almost a third of the movie actually maybe more than a third of the movie that thing it's a heck of a scene (laughs) yeah that sequence i mean and you were you mentioned it's all filmed like in an actual house right there were no sets in this everything was filmed on location in actual houses the only i guess set set was the high school Mm -hmm. they the local high school revoked permission like three days before they were starting to shoot and so they had to go in and buy a bunch of lockers and build up a community center to look like a high school but everything was in small town in Northern California, and yeah, everything was just right around each other. They did in the credits. It says no thanks to the uh, whatever Santa Clara <laughs> school system. Is it? Oh, is Santa Clarita? I'm, I don't remember exactly. Well, isn't that uh, Drew Barrymore, the Santa Clarita Diet? I, I might be confabulating. Okay. I don't know. But that would be funny. <laughs> but yeah, they filmed that scene 21 days straight, sundown oh, to sun. gosh. That, I'm surprised someone didn't actually murder someone. <laughs> I guess all the crew had jackets made. Like, I survived the filming of <laughs> scene 118. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The kitchen confrontation. Kind of the, everybody yeah. stabbing each other. Yeah. Five nights in a row of shooting oh that thing. Oh my gosh, it's brutal. I think Lillard and Ulrich have kind of said it's maybe the most enduring endurance challenge they've ever done is trying to maintain that level of intensity for 12 hours a day for five days in a row. I guess they were pacing around and acting like wild animals and kind of starting to scare the rest of the crew. And on meth. No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> it it comes out in the performances though. I mean, that's those scenes are something. They are terrifying. But they would like just, and so they couldn't wash the clothes. They would just like re-wet the blood every Ew, night. <laughs> Reanimating. Yep, yep, yep. And the uh, my parents are going to be so mad, and that you hit me with the phone were both improv lines. Too. Of course they are. He wasn't it- supposed to hit him with the phone, but I guess the blood was just. Too slippery and sticky and whatever. <laughs> and those two make his character. Those two like are Matthew Lillard. I mean, that's but those two lines act like tell you everything about Stu. Yeah, I think. And I mean, Kevin Williamson has gone on record saying that like he was proud of his script, but you know what Lillard has done has definitely added to it. And like the uh, they had no idea. When Skeet Ulrich was just going to go, they just go crazy and start stabbing things. They had no idea there were feathers. So that was all completely unknown, impromptu. That's great, too. They just went with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's something viscerally just covered in detritus. And yeah, that's great. So um, the popcorn. Sorry, complete change of pace. Oh, like the Jiffy Pop or whatever it is? It is Jiffy Pop. Yeah. I, uh-huh. I had no concept of this ever being. I, the we never had any. The only concept I've ever thought of this was this movie. It's the only I knew time it I've ever existed. seen it. I, I'm... 
don't know if there were like commercials or, but I've never had it. I knew the name Jiffy Pop, but I just assumed that was just a regular, a microwave popcorn brand. But Jiffy Pop was actually sued and lost um, for this over from another company that had the patent. <laughs> so I feel like they did okay though. Uh, yeah, they're, they're the enduring brand. Yeah, yeah. So I feel I'd be remiss to go through everything that I've looked up if I didn't mention that there was a copycat in 2007 of this Cassie Joe Stoddart. I'm not even going to say the piece of trash guys, but I mean, it was horrifying. I mean, made friends with her, snuck in, you know, would leave her house and leave doors unlocked and hit lights and all kinds of stuff. And they are both serving life sentences. Uh, They are actually... I don't know if you're familiar, you've been following, but there's been a lot of Supreme Court cases lately, uh, Miller versus Alabama, that life in prison without the possibility of a parole for a juvenile is unconstitutional. Hmm. And then in uh, Montgomery versus Louisiana makes that retroactive to all like 1,200 people that are serving that. They all have to have their sentences reevaluated. Okay. But then there was actually a Mathena versus Malvo, um, uh, Lee Boyd Malvo, that uh, actually the Supreme Court turned down hearing that would have made things even easier for a sentence like that to be overturned so okay that's people that are still in the news today that are doing some pretty trash things and that's terrible yeah i mean i don't know that, that's that's a tough place to, that's a tough call i don't want to make a statement one way or the other on that that that's someone that's 16 17 years old do something that life without the possibility of parole but <laughs> i think there's some things that could be warranted, could warrant that. I mean, there are definitely some sentences that don't make a lot of sense. And in fact, I was just listening to a podcast kind of about that, um, who, uh, a guy who grew up to be a prosecutor and DA, and his parents were both part of, um, like, basically the Black Liberation Army, like, it helped them in a, in a robbery, and people were killed, and they were both um, had crazy different sentences, but both were out of his life for 20 plus years because of like felony murder charges when they had nothing to do with like that actually happening. But like he was like 15 months old when it oh, happened. Goodness. So it was a really interesting um, conversation. It was on criminal. Okay. So switching gears again to the character credited as phone voice in this. Okay. Later, yes. he gets to be the voice. The he's, voice. Now he's the voice. But at the time, he was just phone voice. Roger Jackson. Do you know anything about him? I don't know. His major role before this was he was the voice of the translator in Mars Attacks. Oh, man. Okay. Do you have, have you remember that at all? The translator like, like, don't run away. I'm here to be your friend. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, like whoever programmed it is completely wrong. <laughs> like, we come in peace. We're here to spread the message of love. And then you just start murdering everybody. It's like, um, no. <laughs> I think we maybe got that wrong. His other major role, he's, he's a voice actor. His other yes. major role is Mojo Jojo in the Powerpuff Girls. I really don't know the Powerpuff Girls no, very well. neither do I. Uh, he is the mucus in the Mucinex commercials. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he's the Cheshire Cat in American McGee's Alice. I don't know if that would have crossed your radar I, I or not. I feel like a the poster toy- or like the, the visual of like what that Cheshire Cat looks like. I think I know what it looks like. Like um, Alice with a knife. The, the toy, like every Spencer's, every Hot Topic yes. had the toys, even before the video game. Yeah. American McGee, I believe, was a level designer maybe for Doom? And, and then kind of got together with Todd McFarlane to kind of make his own game. I could be 
I'm, I'm thinking back 20 years now. I could be misremembering all of that. You're nerding out into like a whole other like, level of words and names. A little bit, a little bit. But he was hired to be on set reading the lines for the opening shot. Like that, that opening sequence was all filmed kind of in like edited together, put together before they got the okay to go on and make the rest of the film. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of its own little mini movie. It felt that way. We talked about that. Yeah, he was hired to be the voice to read the lines on stage or on set because Drew Barrymore wanted someone to act off of. But they put him in a place where he could see her, but she couldn't see him. So creepy as all get out. And they were not intending to use him. They were going to dub him over with another actor. But I think after they got that back, like, no. That works. (laughs) This is... Yeah, that works. What is the more effective scare, do you think? The voice or the shape? Like the shape Michael Myers, the you know, the oh. unspeaking, or do you think I think there's something about the nineties, this almost flirty character. Yeah, because I think that you start to I mean, we could get into a whole like talking about like the internet and the people you're conversing with and how well do you know them? Because there was a lot of that now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking to people, you know, ASL, you know, chat rooms, IMing, <laughs> um, you know, and you have no idea who these people are. And you don't have no idea, like, you know, you don't think about whether they've got the capability to learn more about you. Um, and then, you know, you start to have uh, internet dating and, and all of these things where people are accessible in a different kind of way. Um, and I think that's scary. And so, yeah, I mean, not knowing who you're talking to and what their intentions are um, is scary. And then also one little fact that in the months after this film's release, caller ID sales went up 300%. I believe it. I believe it. So I want to talk about the writer of this film, mm-hmm. um, Kevin Williamson. I don't know him before this, but I, I know him now. He His first film was Killing Mrs. Tingle that would, rather, uh, oh, yeah. uh, would later become Teaching Miss Tingle. I've, I've seen that in the Which, theater. knowing that he also wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer, there's a – the writer of I Know What You Did Last Summer, the novel, also wrote Killing Mr. Griffin – I feel like he owes a little something on killing Miss Tingle. <laughs> like there might have been a bit of a fanboy thing going on there. Could be. He would write The Faculty, which if it's not on our list, it needs to be. Have it you seen that one? Is. I have not. It's, not really. I feel like it's Robert Rodriguez maybe directed it. Oh, okay. It's got John Stewart, Elijah Wood, a lot of t- uh, Josh Hart in it the first time I became aware of him. Yeah, I mean I think I I'm it, it falls into the all of the movies you just said, it falls into that mm-hmm. like bucket. But it was a straight up R-rated horror movie that came out, you know, when I was fifteen to seventeen, somewhere in there. So mm-hmm. it was not allowed, and I think it had some sex in it too. <laughs> so that was definitely a oh no. <laughs> like reading through the ratings and the reviews in the Tennessean newspaper, and there's always an adult or a content advisory. It's like, don't say nudity, don't say nudity, don't say nudity, don't say nudity. <laughs> Son of a, I'm never going to get to see this movie. <laughs> like, why? Uh-huh. Shoot your eye out, kid. Like the crow. Like, come on. Like, we don't need nudity in the crow. It's, <laughs> it's like, I don't even want it. I just want to see the movie. I want to see the movie. I mean, I'm like 15. I probably do, but like... I I trade it off, you know. I trade off getting right. to see it now, and right? Getting to see boobs in three years. 
All right. So his probably biggest thing he's ever done is he created Dawson's Creek. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he really likes to dive into teenage angst. He really does. Really does. After the Dawson's Creek, he would do the Vampire Diaries. I think that that's pretty successful, I think. I don't yeah. know a lot about it. And then he would do um, Time After Time, kind of the remake of the H.G. Wells Trail of Filling After, okay. Jack the Ripper. It's yeah. a TV show as well. It was a movie. I, yeah. Uh-huh. I, rem- I think Malcolm McDowell was I That was Wells. one I remember of like my parents watching and I couldn't watch, actually. Yeah. And then I think the last thing he did was Tell Me a Story. I'm not familiar with that at all. I'm it's, not either. It seems like it's Fables, Once Upon a Time, Grimm. Remember when all that stuff was a thing all yes. at the same time? Yes. Did we watch one episode of Once Upon a Time that I thought was the pilot that wasn't? That like a bunch of major characters died and like, what? what's even happening here? I, I don't know if we, I don't remember thinking it was a pilot, but I do think we've watched like one episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was definitely thought that I was missing something i think i was oh this is episode nine okay yeah no wonder i feel like i'm missing something yeah i think with that like the huntsman gets his heart cut out yes that's what i remember the huntsman is jamie dornan from oh fifty shades of gray Gray fame yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like like i get it now you wanted to talk about the weird fisheye lens thing and the blurring on the edges and the camera angles yes so i felt like it it felt like it was creating a lot of chaos Mark Irwin, the cinematographer, chose to use an anamorphic lens. I don't know if I can fully do this in a audio format, but I'm going to try to describe it. It shoots widescreen film or a widescreen shot, but it uses the entire 35 millimeter negative. So instead of there being the black bars on the top and the bottom, uh-huh. it stretches it. Okay. So you get a higher resolution, in the and center. then you show it through or play it back through a, a kind of opposite lens and it flattens it back out okay i think i understand that well enough so yeah so it, it shoots a widescreen thing on a full frame but it, by stretching it vertically okay and then yeah you, rec- you have to play it back with a different kind of lens and it causes kind of a cylindrical perspective around yeah. the edge and the edges can tend to go pretty blurry and you can also get what they call mumps face where someone's if you're focused on their eyes that their chin and top of their head can kind of be a little distorted large. Hmm, okay. And it also causes some really cool looking lens flares. I think actually Wes Anderson uses this type of lens pretty, okay. pretty regularly. But uh, yeah, Mark Irwin was fired during production uh, because I think a lot of the footage that he was shooting was completely unusable and out mm. of focus and because it is a difficult lens to keep your focus on. Got you gotta it. really be careful because your depth of field is not not very long. So this was early on, and then they switched gears after that. They were like, but it it was effective in terms of like the cha- like the the creating the tension. I thought, but no nobody nobody at uh, at Miramax thought it or Dimension thought it was the thing. Got it. Like, too artsy. Like <laughs> can <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so we mentioned the uh, sound effect of Steve's guts hitting the floor Ugh, being yeah. like probably didn't notice that the first time i watched this movie in vhs on my like mono one uh-huh we watched the nc-17 cut of this movie i oh i don't know how because we watched the nc-17 cut of what all did we say of uh basic instinct we definitely saw the nc-17 cut of madonna and willem dafoe body oh, of evidence yeah. we've seen a lot of nc-17 cuts on amazon and max just as the R-rated cut, I'm not saying like to go in there and audit everything, but 
some people are just googling what's this movie rated and putting it up there. Mm. <laughs> they are. I feel like the the harsh justice of the MPAA. If they were, to- <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want that. <laughs> Revenge of the Pencil Pushers. Yes, yes, yes. But we have a, a slower pan on Drew when she's dead than we did in the original film. We the puddle of blood under Stu. I remember we both talked yeah, about that. that was like a it lot dripping of into blood. the puddle. Yeah. That was that bottom half of that shot was cut off to make this an R rated movie. Okay. And like the last three frames of the garage door crushing uh Rose McGowan were all too much for uh for a R rated film. Well, understood. I mean, I don't think I actually watched any of those parts myself. So I, I had censored it myself. You were watching it through, I did. through your, I was, uh, yes. your hands. Yes. <laughs> so the internet is a buzz over who killed who. Okay. You had some thoughts. I did have some thoughts. Um, I mean, after thinking about it, well, so I had heard, you know, a little bit of like, almost like a train of uh, strangers on a train kind of thing that they didn't kill or attack each other's significant others. Um, and so I know early on when we've got Drew Barrymore being killed, um, it's, you know, comes to find out that Stu dated her a little bit and they're at the fountain and he's like, you know, he's like, I didn't kill anybody. And uh, Ski Dollar says, nobody said you did. Um, and so it's like, okay, you know, there's that. We've got... Um, you know, Tatum. So that's probably Skeet Ulrich. We've got, you know, Neff Campbell being attacked several times, which made me start to think, I was like, well, Stu's real shit at this. Like, Stu doesn't kill anybody. If Neff Campbell, you know, was not successfully killed in what we see. Um, I mean, we, but we do have the principal. We do have um, Kenny because, I mean, I think we're, we're thinking, but we're thinking Skeet Ulrich is out of commission but he's not in that full final scene. That full, you know, he, we think he gets stabbed, but he's but hasn't he's, he's been. Ba- he's still in the house when they and falling down the stairs. At that moment, he could have easily come back in. I get. I mean, a lot. It's like you said. It's forty-two minutes. A lot happens here, so I don't know. I think I unconvinced myself that Stu didn't kill anyone, but definitely, I think that the majority of the kills are done by Skeet Ulrich. Okay. Well, so I think there's a little bit of retconning in Scream 3 okay. about this, and there's internet theories abuzz, but the general consensus is actually that Stu killed Stephen Casey. Okay. That is the general consensus that Billy is with Nev Campbell at See, the time. See, I thought the way he shows up is to be an alibi. Okay. Like, the fact that he just kind of... He doesn't, you know, romantically pop into her room. He, like, pops into her room like he's been running from somewhere. Um, to me, that feels like a total alibi. They they both were part of that. Like I said, I don't think that Stu could have hoisted her up by himself. That's a two-person job. Yeah, I, I feel like they were both. Because the, the whole thing about, like, which door am I at? Yeah. I, I think they were both there. You know, well, but then that's... someone went inside the house. It was lurking around. And then I think she's actually attacked from outside the house. Yes, I, I I disagree with the internet. I think they were both there for that yeah, one. Yeah, I think but they were both there. That could mess up the whole fall guy thing, and I don't know. I don't know. I think they were both there. Uh, Principal Hembry uh, was definitely Billy, because okay. Stu's at the party. That's what causes everybody to leave the party. Right. That is actually Wes Craven's idea. He, he kind of thought that, like, there's way too long in this movie where nobody's gotten murdered. <laughs> and then uh, Kevin Williamson, the screenwriter, was kind of... They were still working on the script as they were shooting, and okay. he was really trying to find a way to get everybody out of the house. It was okay, like perfect, like 
That Genius, works. Wes. Let's do it. Put it in. Put it in. Uh, Tatum was probably Billy, but it seems like this is the most hotly debated one of them. Well, because Stu is still kind of hanging out. Stu is kind of still kind of hanging out, and Billy hasn't shown up at the party yet. Exactly, and he kind of has a <gasps> yeah. moment after it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny is most definitely Stu. Because that's right after the stabbing uh, or the fake stabbing of Skeet Ulrich. Okay. And that uh, Maureen is probably Billy. Maureen. The Maureen Prescott, Sydney's mother. Her mother. Yes. Yes. I I think so, too, because he's the one who's got the motive. Right. But it may have been uh, Roman Bridger, the Sydney's half-brother. Oh, but that's like, that, that a little thing. bit of retconning in Scream Three. Well, and I said, you know, in in talking about the movie originally, that it didn't feel like Stu was aware of Billy's motive originally. That you know, when when he finally says, you know, your your mom was sleeping with my dad. That's the reason my mom left. My mom abandoned me. It's all her fault. Like, it, it's like Stu's like, oh shit, like this actually had something important attached to it i thought we were just fucking around in scream three the killer roman sydney's half brother does kind of mention that it was his idea to tell billy to have a fall guy just in case Hmm. so yeah i feel i feel like you're right on that he was less involved and a little betrayed at that moment yeah that i mean there's a lot of internet talk about that they're there's more there's more of a of a a little bit of an infatuation you know not romance i don't feel like they have a romance but that you know to go that far with someone there's more than just like hey you know we're buddies and let's do this weird kooky thing together (laughs) kevin williamson has actually written about that what has he said he has said that he absolutely intended the kind of claustrophobia and the fear that you feel growing up gay to come through in some of the scenes of people on the phone but he's also said that if Stu and billy were gay that it was probably completely unintentional and it's probably a smarter reading of the script than he was writing it (laughs) well and i don't think like good idea not what i intended at all but and i don't think that they they read that because i don't even um okay you said kevin williamson that's his name Mm -hmm. i think that he's a gay man yes yes Um, i think that that much of it is from his experience but more the the terror and the claustrophobia of it i mean i think that in the hands of a gay man a gay relationship at this time would have been a lot more successful and nuanced than anyone in anyone else's hands. But still in 1996, I think we would have not been able to have any subtlety to it at all. If they were actually supposed to be gay, we would, someone would, would, someone would say something that would not have aged well at this point. (laughs) I feel like what Friday the 13th part two, there's a huge, several of the people involved were getting, Years later, someone's like, was there some gay subtext? And everyone's like, yes, like, like, finally, someone's getting it. Like, like, hooray. Like, let's celebrate it for what it is. Like, it's a terrible movie, but it has a real real message to say. It's the only redeeming value for the film. All right. So all the right moves, the movie that she wants to rent. Oh, yeah. Because you can see Tom Cruise's dick. I've done a little bit of Googling, and it, it might be a shadow. You might be right. I don't know. It could be a dick. It, yeah, I, I thought – I don't remember what who was talking about this, too. It, it may have been unspooled. Um, okay. But, like, 
it may have been the whole conversation around like Willem Dafoe and like dicks in general. I don't know. I don't remember why. Um, I, full disclosure, listen to a lot of things and just like pick out little things that stick in my brain and the rest don't. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's it's in shadow, but it's like on the wall, like very boldly like that that is as that it is like that's that's the thing <laughs> there is internet debate as to what exactly you're seeing got it there there is some you are seeing something whether you are seeing the shadow or whether you're seeing the appendage you are got it you're, you're getting an idea of the shape <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you're into then uh you know it feels like it'd be much easier just to watch naked attraction but <laughs> yeah if you guys are not watching naked attraction it's it's an interesting educational yeah, it, it's really interesting, just in general, like about <laughs> all types of bodies. So Leah Thompson was 22. Tom Cruise was 21 when they were making the film. Mm-hmm. It, it has Leah Thompson in it as well. And um, it is a football movie. It's also got Craig T. Nelson as the coach. I of mean, cause why not? Yeah. <laughs> That's just the character he plays is either smarmy molester murderer guy or coach. That's just the things he's got. Mm-hmm. I guess there was uh, – was he a coach in – in um, Poltergeist, I don't think he was a lawyer. No, he was like a real estate a guy. Real estate. Okay, yeah. So, never mind. Never mind. No. Uh, I don't know why. Every time I think about that movie, it makes me laugh. I think about you know the the little uh, paranormal people coming and they're like, we tracked a a robot toy like moving moved two inches, two inches over, and they're like, huh? Yeah. They open the, door. They open the door and like things are just flying around and it just <laughs> makes me laugh every single time just thinking about it. Oh. But they actually, Tom Cruise and Leah Thompson got sent to high school to, uh, like, study and learn, get a feel for kind of Josie Grossying it. Uh-huh. And as they say, Tom Cruise got noticed, like, day one. But Leah Thompson made it a whole week, and they didn't <laughs> pick her out as being famous. But, like, she did get busted smoking in the girls' room. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I can do what I want. I'm not really here. <laughs> So we might have to add that onto the forbidden list. Just that uh, like fun, yeah. yeah. Maybe do a Johnny B. Good, do a whatever, maybe Super Bowl time or something. Yeah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. You wanted to know who was Fred? 100% it was Wes Craven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the janitor. So reviews of this thing. Everybody reviews everything but part three positively. I think that on Rotten Tomatoes, critics say that two is the best, and then one, then five and six are kind of tied, and then four, and then three is a huge drop-off. Okay. Audiences go six, five, like the last two, the most recent ones, then one and two, then four, then a big three. Uh, The best review I could find... Horror icon Craven's subversive deconstruction of the genre is sly, witty, and surprisingly effective as a slasher film itself, even if it's a bit too cheeky for its own good. I don't think it is. In fact, because we talked about that, it's only cheeky really at the end. And it's that that makes you kind of forget about how terrifying it is early on. Yeah, they really. And even though it's terrifying at the end, and it's you know human depravity, you know, like my human depravity meter is right, but but home run on the last ten minutes or so. Just oh my gosh, yeah. I mean everything from when they corner Nev Campbell in the kitchen, that just the rest of the film 
five stars. I mean, you know, home run. <laughs> it is great. I found another review. What makes Scream so successful is that it balances fun and horror in a way that had the audience looking back to the genre films that they loved with fondness. Yeah, I think that's true. And then we also have Scream may be above, uh, sorry, Scream may be a cut above the gore fests that line the dimly lit back wall at your video store, but it's a far cry from such genre classics as Halloween or Craven's own Nightmare on Elm Street. I just think it's different. It's for a different audience. I mean, it's for a 90s audience who thinks they know too much. Like, 90s teenagers are insufferable. <laughs> the worst. We were one. I also so, did learn that um, Dewey and Randy both died in the original cut, but they had filmed additional scenes showing them survive in case it test mm-hmm. marketed poorly. And I'm going to go ahead and say that the last one that came out, every single major character has a moment where they get stabbed and die, and then I think all of them live. Like... <laughs> But did you say, and I didn't see it, like, it's it's not really my genre, but you said it's like, almost like ADR, like, it's glad, oh, wow, they like, survived. Yeah, so whoever's at the hospital, they're, they're hanging on. <laughs> we don't actually see anyone. I mean, poor form, poor form. If you you can't give me, I don't, I don't want the characters to die. I like them, but you can't give me someone like two killers stabbing them side by side over and over and over again in the torso and neck. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're fine. Yeah, that doesn't work. He's a little oxygen mask on, like like sitting up, getting in the ambulance, you know. No, that doesn't really work. All right, so moving on to print. We're kind of coming up to the end here. We do have a heart out here in a little bit. We've got a uh, pub crawl of uh, Nashville Halloween-themed pop-ups. So we're going to be having a good old time tonight. Spooky season commences. So I actually did find a copy of uh, Playgirl magazine from around the time this was released. Playgirl does not have a, at this time, much of an editorial point of view. It's it's mostly about the pictures. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which is disappointing. You would think it'd kind of be the opposite, but, you know, where's where's Joyce Prigger when you need her? I know. The cover and main pictorial is of uh, Mr. Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid <laughs> himself. In 96? Yes. Whoa. And it, it's for a specific age of person, because I don't think... It, yeah, it's not for – it's for older women for sure then. I think – yeah, I think readership was predominantly men at this point, and I think that's something that was kind of pointed out on wrestling television pretty regularly to make fun of Shawn Michaels at this Got time. It. And I think that, a lot of words that we don't say anymore were said. Got it. And okay. I think the, the less said about that time, the better. Uh, let's see. We have an interview with Mario Van Peebles. We have uh, Michael Gorgian from Party of Five. I don't know who that is. Mm-mm. And we have Sting's Diggling. <laughs> Some no. uh, paparazzi pictures of Sting on a beach doing ex- uh, assisted stretching, completely starkers. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't think we like uh, paparazzi photos being published, but. Uh, <laughs> it's still ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but Sting in 96 is, uh, is Sting in 96. Sting you know? in 96. It's not Sting in 86. It has a. A restraining order against Phoebe Buffay. <laughs> <laughs> so Playboy for December of 1996. The very first thing I noticed is a full page advertisement for Drambuie and a full page advertisement for Goldschlocker. Interesting. Okay. So there's some people drinking some sweet stuff. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> a statistic that women who have a tattoo on their breast, three to one, it's on the left versus the right. Is that... 
So that when someone's looking at you, like, is it a, is it a, a mirroring kind of thing? Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think we've discovered for, actually from watching Naked Attraction that um, most women the left breast is larger than the a little bit, right, yeah, because of potentially proximity to the heart, heart tissue, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, it was just a weird thing to like back to back. <laughs> so I don't exactly know. We have an article about the types of vests that are in and the types of vests that are out for fall <laughs> or for winter. <laughs> Damn you, Chandler Bing. Yes. We have in, vest worn instead of a sport coat, uh, thick material like military or ski vests. We have out, disco prints, deep Vs, rayons, or with an untucked shirt. So Chandler, <laughs> you out. <laughs> I have an article about engagement ring anxiety. So at least enough Playboy readers are concerned about getting married. So there's something, right? We have the videos, top videos of the month. Twister and Mission Impossible. Both things I bought bootleg versions video, of. Video, the video version. <laughs> <laughs> we have Carrie Hoskins. She is the model for Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat, the video game. Okay. Is has a little interview with her. We have a CK1 advertisement. Love it. Uh, that just to, that's mid nineties to me. Yes. I wore every every. Did you wear a CK1? Um. Because it was a unisex fragrance for it men and was, women. Was yes. No, I don't think I did. I feel I like until CKB came out, everyone wore CK1, and then it was like 50-50, You know. Right. <laughs> we have an article about setting the stage. How to. Sc- Gore. So I just had to like have a a bachelor pad that women are going to just throw themselves at you when they see. Got it. We got a, a widescreen CRT television in 96. <laughs> I did not realize that that was ever a thing. No. We have a 700 CD changer. 700? I probably had 700 CDs. I know, but like you need access to them all at one time. I like, would have loved to have had some type of 700 CD changer. It's like where... a jukebox, pretty much. <laughs> That would have been amazing to have everything cataloged and just, oh, that would have been so great. We have a, uh, a laser disc player, a receiver, a six channel amplifier back when you still had amplifiers, Man. a component rack, like a component rack in 96. Like who, who is this for again? This feels like it's for everybody's uncle who had yeah, like, all like- the things that we, we couldn't figure out how to turn on their TV. Yeah. I don't, I don't know any woman that is just like. Wow, the technology in this room is so sexy. (laughs) (laughs) We have just some little quick funny things or quirks or whatever that the uh, Sussex Water Tower, they were starting it backwards and they only got through the last three letters and had to quit for the weekend. (laughs) So the Water Tower just had sex for a weekend. Yes. And then chastity belts. Looks like there's some scholarly articles that they were mostly myth and novelty. I think I knew that. They were kind of like, people would build them, but they would build them kind of, kind of like shrunken heads sort of. Got it. Yeah. For not, have not, never have been actually used or they, and they would not have been anatomically possible. We have some more garbage stuff about AIDS. Okay. The protease inhibitors are numerical drugs, which they were. Very much so. Protease inhibitors are what made AIDS or HIV a chronic condition instead of a death sentence. But we also have that reasons not to get AIDS, they cost a lot of money, and you could spend that money on escorts or erotic massages. Ew. Yeah. 
Who let that get through? Ninety six. We got to do a little bit better. Well, I well, I was gonna say I think we did, but I'm not sure. We've got Double O Seven on CD ROM Adventure. <laughs> we have the devil herself, Jenny McCarthy, with Santa and a puppy, and the puppy's really cute though. Like, I just have a visceral negative reaction to seeing her. I'm sure she's an attractive lady, but I mean, I don't know. She's made a living being an attractive lady, I suppose. I guess. I guess. We have a Mike Hammer mystery back alley. I didn't know, realize they were still writing pulpy stuff. No. And like the next next issue is like a new story about James Bond. So yeah, apparently that was still a thing well into the 90s. We have the Holiday Gift Guide. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. A digital scheduler for $600. <laughs> I love it. We have a... Satellite, fax machine, and pager. It weighs less than six pounds. <laughs> and it's three thousand dollars. And you can you can sext with people in Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> A gold inlaid double barrel shotgun for sixty-eight thousand dollars. Okay. We have a humidor based on the one he gave to John F. Kennedy, signed by Milton Burl for seventy-five hundred dollars. Okay. A CD and mini disc player with the highest fidelity possible for $1,900. Remember, did you ever have a mini disc player or know anybody that had a mini disc player? No, I don't think so. That was something. It just it looked like it was going to be so cool. I really thought it was going to be the next thing. I of I was on board with that one. I'm wrong. I'll, I'll admit it. <laughs> a $7,000 silver champagne bucket, which I feel like you could buy that for 20 bucks now at the... Uh, antique store you might be able to find one at goodwill might be might be but 250 dollars for a 1976 vintage bottle of croak champagne I, if i could come across one of those for 250 <laughs> bucks right now we might be talking <laughs> we have the ladies of women stories of passion are you Mm-mm. i feel like it's it's a later softcore erotica on pay television. Okay. I don't feel like I'm... No. I looked up... I think Ty Burrell is in one episode, so... <laughs> <laughs> we have an article about fashion. We have that Lounge slash Dean Martin is in. It's all about swing dancing and swingers, which that feels about yeah, right for the right. time. It does, yeah. It's ska uh-huh. coming. Yeah, we had Miss December 1996, uh, Victoria Silvstead? I feel like I've read that name before. I think that uh, she was Miss Sweden in 1993. She modeled for Chanel, Dior, Armani, Givenchy, Valentino. Um, she shared a flat with Melania Naus in the mid-90s, who would later uh, marry another devil. And Got uh, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she took over Guess when Anna Nicole Smith left. Okay. So uh, she was in Basketball. Which oh, I've yeah, seen. I remember, I've seen Basketball. I've seen it once. I think I've, I've only seen it once, I too. found it to be better than I was expecting. I saw it at a, like, friend's house. Like, it was, you know, mixed company, I think. She was also in Boat Trip. I have not seen Boat Trip. Do you remember our experience with Boat Trip? No, because I don't even remember Boat Trip. It's a movie. It's Cuba Gooding Jr. and Horatio Sands. And they're trying to get oh, on a swingers a gay cruise, cruise, and they accidentally get on a gay cruise. Oh, okay. I feel like it is considered inappropriate and horrible and homophobic, even for its time, let alone now. Right. Uh-huh. The menu screens, though, were all interactive menu screens, and it was just a bunch of topless ladies laying around in, like, the 
like stuff would be around their bits, all the stuff you could click on, uh-huh. and there would be special features on like how to properly apply sunscreen or whatever. It's just a bunch of toggles. We were after a cocktail festival. We went to a wine tasting. And somebody was talking about Cuba Gooding Jr. I just mentioned how that was the worst film ever made. And one of the ladies there was like, I was actually the uh, the producer of the special features for that movie. <laughs> like, it was the most, just, you said it was like one of the most surreal moments of her life. There's just half a dozen Playboy Playmates standing around topless in fans trying not to sweat and just shooting all of this nonsense. <laughs> I cocktail too hard. I don't remember any of that. You don't remember that. any of that? Nope. Oh, yeah. It was at uh, Lauren Kelly's house. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I had this whole conversation with the, one of the producers of, of the special features of that DVD. I don't remember any of that at all. <laughs> she was like, like, everything about it was terrible. Like, it's, I can't believe I <laughs> ended up in that situation. But I like, get paid. So it's, it's, it's a go. job, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently she is... Apparently this was about the end of when being a Playboy Playmate was a career. Mm. That it kind of led to other modeling opportunities, right. spokesperson opportunities, guest hosting opportunities, and you could kind of get moderately rich if you stayed away from drugs and domestic violence, and you could kind of have a positive life and a good retirement. So good for her. She seems like everything has gone well. Everything else after her downhill, I guess. Uh, see, seems like if you start if you move into the mansion, things don't go well. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we have 20 questions with Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've already made multiple friends references that were right in the wheelhouse. Yes, yes. But the discussion of it is she's the thinking man's friend on the power of the dits, the truth about Vassar girls, and the allure of frilly tennis underpants. Huh. Okay. It sounds like a conversation Phoebe would have. It does. It does. <laughs> I think that's part about the thing. I don't think she thinks that she is a ditz, but she plays one on television and the cognitive dissonance behind that. And... Well, yeah. No, I know she's not a ditz. Yeah. I know she's a smart lady. And I think Phoebe's a smart lady, too. I think Phoebe's a very curated character. They also do have a thinly veiled question of how cold is it on the set? <laughs> and she's like, I'm lucky they let me wear a lot of vests. <laughs> We have sex stars of 96. Front page, McConaughey and Liv Tyler. Hmm. 96, wouldn't that been Ed TV? I mean, what's McConaughey in 96? Probably about that, yeah. Yeah. We have, I mean, but he's starting to be around, isn't he? Wasn't he the Pelican Brief or the client or one of those? Or um, The client, he was in Amistad. Ugh. Um. He was a good guy in Amistad. Okay, okay. He was like an attorney trying to like, he was a good guy. I never saw that. That was one that I found out what it was about before I saw it. And I'm like, yeah, nope. I think I saw it like for class. My dad went and I went and saw it at Metro Metro Center. Seems right. Isn't that a place? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We have Shannon Tweed, Lucy Lawless, Kevin Sorbo, and Tori Amos on the same page. I can... One of these things is not like the other. Yes, very much. <laughs> we have uh, Madonna and Dennis Rodman on one page. We have David Duchovny, Jillian Anderson, and Uma Thurman, and JFK Jr. That's a weird page. Kind of, but they're like hot people. Yeah. Brad Pitt, Pierce Brosnan, Denzel, and Salma Hayek. And then Cindy Crawford and Mira Sorvino. I mean, we're spending some time talking about Miramax and Mira Sorvino. We got to acknowledge. Yeah, she got screwed. 
And that's about it. And we have the video games of the week are Leisure Suit Larry 6, Command and Conquer, and Resident Evil. I feel like one of those may have had a little more staying power than the other. <laughs> think so. This whole issue has been about like, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. <laughs> so, scream. Ah! We did it. I love this movie. <laughs> I love this time with you. I love spooky season. Let's go out and have a couple of cocktails. And uh, we will see you guys for... Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, I actually remembered it this time. Get out your crushed velvet, your giant collars. It's, it's gonna... the '90s. We've got is is the weird butthead guy and the top hat guy. That that's both Gary Oldman. Yes, I I have no idea what's happening. It's as many faces of Gary Oldman just in this one movie. Is have, Keanu in this? Keanu thing? is in this movie. Winona is in this movie. It's like directed by a competent director. I think is it Francis Ford Coppola. I think it's Coppola. Yeah, it's it's. I've never seen this film. We'll it, we'll go for the, we're Have going for the it? ride. No, no, I haven't. Okay, well, because it it looked sexy and scary and forbidden in ninety three. I was still in junior high, so man, a lot of things that looked sexy back then did not uh, age very well. So we, we will, will see, see what happens. We will see All right, guys, what happens. Hit us up Instagram Forbidden Cinema. Um, check out Minx. We want to we want to get those numbers up. Get a season three. We don't have a green light yet, so you can check out our coverage of Minx on Stars going deeper. Um, you can get that on Spotify as well. Um, tell your friends, um, all the podcasts, places that you listen to, rate, review, subscribe, all the things. I mean, we've got a holiday season coming up. You maybe have road trips. You can, you can listen to us talk about a lot of crazy, fun things and maybe laugh Grab your friend's phone and hit, uh, hit yeah. subscribe on it. And like, stay, and, out, stay out of their photos. Stay out of that, all that. Yeah, but just, yeah, but just hit, hit subscribe. subscribe. And just tell people like, oh, yeah, just push this button here. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, we will see you guys later. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.